Welcome to Brute Facts, where we have beards, beer, and brains. Tonight we got a good one with Jake, the Muslim metaphysician from themuslimmetaphysician.com. And on YouTube, he recently just did a, a debate with James White, and that is definitely one you want to check out. So hang around. We got an interesting show coming. Mr. Jake, how are you doing? How's it going, Eddie? Pretty good, pretty good. So I heard that um, you had uh, a fun little time with one of our Calvinist brothers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll get into that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, you were Catholic and became Muslim. How did that work? Yeah, so <laughs> I was raised in a Roman Catholic home, so... I actually went to Catholic school when I was little for a few years until we transitioned to public school. Um, but so, yeah, my, my entire family is Roman Catholic. And I mean, long story short, I became a Muslim about 10, a little over 10 years ago now when I was in uh, my early 20s. So I'm giving away my age there. <laughs> but um, yeah, so when I was in when I was in university, or kind of like towards the end of high school, senior year, um, I had a good friend of mine was Muslim, and he introduced me to Islam. And um, I know I'm just going to give like a summarized version, and then we could go into more details if you have questions. Okay. Um, yeah, basically, he introduced me to Islam, and when I when I first I started looking into it, I planned on refuting my friend. Um, so I said, you know what, I'm going to read this uh, Quran, which is the Islamic uh, holy text. And, um, you know, I'm going to show that this guy's wrong, that he doesn't know what he's talking about. And, um, you know, long story short, I read the Quran and it made a lot of sense to me. And within a matter of about a month or so, I became a Muslim and I've been a Muslim ever since. Wow. Yeah, I guess coming from Catholicism, um, given their uh, dogma of mm -hmm. incarnation and Trinity, you, yeah, you hear about true monotheism and mm -hmm. kind of makes the wheels start spinning a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, what was it? What, what was it? The uh, those issues within Orthodoxy of Christianity that kind of led you to decide Islam was true? Yeah, well, that was a, a major portion of it. So 
when I was a Catholic, you know, and I, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, I was some some Catholic that was, you know, studying to be a priest or anything like that. Right. You know, so I don't want to use that um, against a you know, Christian audience or anything like that. But I, I knew enough and I, I understood the basics of the, the Catholic dogmas, as you said, you know, things like the Trinity, incarnation and uh, even the atonement. Uh, on a basic level, uh, these things didn't really make that much sense to me, especially the the Trinity and the Incarnation. I'm just talking from a layman's perspective. For people who know my stuff now, I was not thinking anything that much in deep in terms of the theology. I don't want to make it seem like that. A lot of that stuff came later on. I just, from an intuitive perspective, it just didn't really make much sense to me. So, when I read the uh, the Quran, which is the uh, you know the Muslim holy text, those issues kind of got cleared up in, in terms of, for example, the Quran. There's a belief in one God. There's not three persons. Uh, Jesus Christ is a prophet of God, which I was surprised to find out. He's a prophet of God. He's a messenger. Uh, we also believe that he was the Messiah. We believe in you know the virgin birth. And a lot of things that Christians and, and Catholics would be familiar with, but it denied that he uh, was the divine son of God or God the son. And, uh, and then also with the atonement as well, you know, basically the Quran says that every man, uh, you know, well, well, this is sort of the Bible it says every man in the Old Testament anyway will be judged uh, for his own sin. And um, over and over and over again, the Quran, like a drumbeat, says that uh, no soul shall bear the burden of another. And so that made sense to me. It's like, okay, well, what I do and what I believe, I should be held accountable for it and not anybody else and vice versa. So from just a basic intuitive perspective, the way that the Quran dealt with these fundamental dogmas that you've said of the Catholic religion it just made much more sense to me. And, um, you know, there were others, some other things like about the, the prophet Muhammad that I said, oh, this must be a real prophet. And so I embraced Islam basically in virtue of that because it lined up with my intuitions about who God was and what his message was to mankind. And then um, kind of just went from there, you know, studied Islam more and more. And I'm still studying it today. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm already getting some flack in the chat. Uh, <laughs> the the true monotheism uh, <laughs> Spartan was one kind of a, a, a tongue in cheek with yeah. uh, Jake being in Islam, but not only that, uh, I have recently uh, considered myself an agnostic Christian because mm-hmm. I can't make sense of the Trinity nor mm-hmm. the incarnation. So I'm actually leaning towards Unitarianism. And mm-hmm. I mean, my mind's still open. I'm studying both sides of it. So mm-hmm. uh, just want to make sure I didn't run off some of my uh, <laughs> Trinitarian <laughs> brothers there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, everybody chill out in the chat. We're just, you know, That's we're right. just having a nice conversation. Don't get too worked up. So, uh, yeah. so how did 
if you don't mind me asking, how how did the family take it? Because I know that it, with within mm-hmm. Catholicism and so kind of Catholic and uh, mm-hmm. Italian go hand in hand. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. it's really t- tightly wound. How did they receive you? Um, I mean, let's start with my parents. My my mother wasn't too happy. She she still she still isn't. She thinks. I mean, she told me less than a year ago. Well, Jake, you're just in a phase, and I'm like, Mom, I've been a Muslim for over ten years. Like, you got to get over it sometime. It's it's not a phase. But um, uh, so that there goes that. And then my dad, honestly, he he doesn't really care. The, the rest of my family, uh, I guess they kind of just see it as weird and they don't understand it, but um, that's it. They don't really, yeah. I mean, they know what I'm, what I do what, like on YouTube and stuff and, and they, they're not that much into it. So they don't even ask me questions because once I get going, <laughs> it's not going to stop, you know, the conversations is going to go. So they don't even now they don't even bring it up. But I mean, if you ask them, they would probably like, I don't know. I don't understand it. The guy's Muslim, but we don't know what's going on. You know? <laughs> so that's probably it's funny. It. Yeah. it's funny how that works when, you know, not try. I like to try to stay as humble as possible, but obviously having far more knowledge than most of the fundamentalists in my family. Yeah. When I have a position that I bring up that's uh, not traditional according to fundamentalism, it's mm-hmm. like they're just like, okay, whatever. That's, yeah, <laughs> nobody wants. Nobody really wants to go down that road. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't even want to deal with it. <laughs> right. So yeah, uh, they're like pass the bread, Eddie. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just a phase. You'll. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny because that seems to be what it all comes down to it's like uh no liking veal was a phase um (laughs) until i found out it what exactly it was and you know so those are phases you don't go 10 years on a phase (laughs) yeah exactly and i mean i had some other struggles like you know i was at that time you know living with family and you know praying in the home and you know, oh, yeah. you know, reciting the prayers in Arabic and things like that. And I had my mother, I, I, I answered a phone call once. And, you know, uh, for those who aren't familiar, like the Islamic greeting is uh, Salam Alaikum, which basically means peace be on to you. Um, you know, it's, and it's interesting, Jesus actually, when he appeared in the upper room, you know, he said peace to um, his disciples. But, um, you know, I just answered the phone and it was one of my Muslim buddies and uh, I just gave him salams. And uh, (laughs) when I got off the phone, my mom said to me, don't you ever speak Arabic in my house again? And I said, Whoa, really? (laughs) I'm like, like, mom, it's just, it's just a language. What's the big deal? Like it's like, I wasn't propagating the religion or anything. I just gave a greeting to my friend on the phone. And so I was like, oh, man, this isn't going to go over too well. So, yeah. you know, I've had to deal with stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's been 10 years now. And, you know, some people think it's a phase and others just they don't even want to deal with it. But um, kind of over it. You know, I'm married. I have a, a Muslim wife, you know, praise God. So um, it is what it is. You know, it's, 
either get with it or get lost. That's how I take it now. Right. Know? That's yeah. And it, did you just, I, I just have to know, did you tell her to not ever do any math? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't, but I, it's interesting because uh, my mom's a Catholic and, and those who don't know, you know, they have one of those, one of the famous prayers that they recite is the hail Mary, you know? Right. And so it, it you know, it go basically what happened was, my mom says something to me like, well, Jake, um, you know, I prayed to Mother Mary about you all the time. And I said, oh, really, Mom? And, she, you know, she told me this. And so I was thinking about it one day and um, I just asked her out of the blue. I said, Mom, do you believe that Jesus is God? And she said, no, of course not. He's the son of God. And I said, oh, really? Because. It's Catholic understanding and dogma. I don't know if I use that word at the time, but it said, you know, it's a Catholic teaching that Jesus is actually God the Son. You know, he is God, not just the Son of God. And uh, she said, no, I don't think so. I said, Mom, remember how you said to me that you pray every day to Mother Mary for me? She said, yeah. I said, okay. Well, in the prayer, and it goes like this, Hail Mary full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God. And then I stopped and I said, so remember when you're saying, holy Mary, mother of God, who's, who are you talking about? Mary is the mother of Jesus. And so you're saying that Jesus is God because Mary's the mother of God. And then she just with a snap of a finger, turn around and said, you know what, Jake, you're right. Mary, or she said, yeah, you know what? You're right. Jesus is God. And I said, I said, mom, you just told me about five minutes ago that Jesus wasn't God, that he was just the son of God. So, you know, at that point I said, you know, she doesn't know what's going on. Uh, you know, my, my family in general, that's, that's the basic idea. They don't really know what's going on. And so I don't even really get into it with them. I just sort of leave it at that, you know? Yeah. I don't blame you. That's. <clears throat> and one of the things that I've learned about at least American Catholics is they don't even know what the Catholic church teaches, Exactly. And, yeah. You know, because I was Southern Baptist, fundamentalist, anti-Catholic, you know, mm -hmm. and I would recite all these different things that are in the catechism to, mm -hmm. you know, my mother-in-law. And and they're all just like, huh? Huh? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And these are the things that you have to believe exactly. because the Pope infallibly declared them mm -hmm. uh, dogma. So... Yeah. yeah, where are you at? You know, exactly. But, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. And, it, and it's really, I mean, nothing against your family, but the fact that we families are so deeply um, have this a religious bias just kind mm -hmm. of embedded that if you go against it in any kind of way, whether you're atheist, agnostic, or Mm -hmm. uh you muslim or you mm -hmm. know any kind of it, it's just like people have such a hard time uh accepting it and mm -hmm. it's like that's not your identity that's not who mm -hmm. you are you're jake you're mm -hmm. the same person you were before All you right. know 
and to know what happened to a lot of the atheist friends that I have, because I have a lot of atheist friends and mm -hmm. here, you know, uh, it, it's the old, the old cliche, you know, there's no love like Christian love. And I don't, <laughs> I don't mean that, you know, I don't mean to pick on my brothers and sisters, but it is, it's something we have to deal with. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it, it happens with any family, pretty much any faith that you're going to be a part of. Uh, when you, especially when you make a big change in your life, as far as they're concerned anyway, uh, with changing a religion, it doesn't matter really what it is. You're going to catch some heat, you know, and, um, that's just the way it is. You just got to decide for yourself what you think the truth is and, you know, stick to it. That's it. So what decided to, what, what made you decide to start the journey for the Muslim metaphysician? Yeah. So what happened was, um, you know, kind of going back a little bit, I actually, when I first came into the religion, because I, one of the reasons why anyways, I didn't really know that much. I didn't know anything about Islam when I first started reading the Quran. Like I said, I was trying to prove my friend wrong. I didn't know anything about it. I thought it was this weird religion that Arabs were the only ones that, you know, held to it. And I found out, wow, actually people all around the world, even people that look and talk like me, uh, can be Muslim. Uh, so this is how ignorant I was about it. And um, so anyway, when I first became a Muslim and I was just reading the Quran, I didn't know anything about this thing that's called Hadith or what we call the Sunnah, which is basically, you know, for the viewers, the, the prophetic example of the Prophet Muhammad. And so in Orthodox Islam, we believe in two sources. We believe in the Quran, which is the holy text that we believe is the real re revealed word of God. But then we also believe in a, in a secondary uh, uh, source, which you can view somewhat as tradition, but it's basically the sayings, deeds, and um, actions of, of the prophet, right? And I didn't know anything about this. So I started reading the Quran. I'm saying, well, I don't see anything about this. But what wound up happening to me was uh, my my buddy, Alex, from high school, he would say things to me. And I'm like, bro, that that's not in the Quran. What are you talking about? And he didn't know. He honestly didn't know because he had just things in his head and he didn't he didn't know whether he was quoting it from the Quran or the Hadith or what. And uh, he one day I was like, dude, that's not in the Quran. And he was like, he's like, oh, maybe it's in the Hadith. And I was like, well, what's that? And so he started explaining it to me. And I said, well, that doesn't really make sense to me. What's that all about? So anyway, long story short, I was what's called a Quranist for about eight years. Um, and which I only believed in the Quran and I didn't accept any secondary source. I didn't, take this hadith or this other tradition seriously. And I was in that position for about eight years. And then about almost three years ago now, I want to say over two years, um, I transitioned into what's called a, a Sunni Muslim, sort of a traditional uh, Orthodox Sunni Muslim, where I accept now the prophetic tradition that's been passed on to us for a number of different reasons we can go into. But um 
um, anyway, the reason why I'm telling that backstory is because when I was a Quranist, I used to have my own YouTube channel and I was like very against the, the Orthodox Sunday Muslims. Like I was a, I was like a Quranist fundamentalist and I would go after the Sunnis. In fact, they used to sh- set up um, near my university. There was a, there's like a big train station. Um, Cause I'm from, I'm from New Jersey and um, the university I went to is in a city that literally connects right to uh, New York city. So there's a big train station over there. And every Saturday, these Orthodox Sunni Muslims used to go over there to set up uh, what we call Dawa uh, camp. It's basically inviting people to Islam, what you guys would call evangelism, you know. And uh, I used to go there and show up just to argue with those guys. I wasn't even talking to Christians or atheists. <laughs> I would just show up to try to, you know, talk to them. And so I'm going to I'm going to get to the point. I know I'm going on a little bit. No, 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 go ahead, man. No. Yeah. Yeah, the reason I'm bringing it up is because I was so into this idea. So I started my own YouTube channel. I don't know how long ago it was. Maybe 6 years ago now. I wasn't the Muslim metaphysician at that time. My channel was called The Criterion uh, because that's one of the names of the of the Quran is called Al-Furqan, which means the criterion it's the thing that distinguishes truth from falsehood. Um, and so I had that channel. I was mainly geared towards those kind of people. And, um, and then uh, after I, I converted or transitioned to a more traditional Islam uh, about two or three years ago now, uh, I changed my, my name, my, uh, my YouTube channel name to the Muslim Metaphysician. And I started getting more into I started getting out of that sort of sectarian stuff. Mm-hmm. And I started getting more into uh, the Christian theology stuff, some t- some uh, Islamic theology, explaining my stance on certain things, as well as dealing with atheists, you know, arguments for God's existence and that type of thing. And uh, the reason I chose the name is because I'm very interested in metaphysics. Uh, in fact, I have I have a bachelor's degree in philosophy, um, so I'm, I'm trained in analytic philosophy mainly, and uh, I just always loved the subject of metaphysics, and I'm Muslim, so I went with the Muslim metaphysician. I had a catchy tune to it, and uh, yeah, I've been doing that for about, like I said, two, three years now, and um, yeah, but before I go any further, that's kind of how it came about. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Um, myself, yeah, I'm, I love metaphysics, you know, and I, I love when I hear somebody because I'm a philosophy guy. I'm not a theology mm-hmm. guy, and yeah. which, you know, probably explains a lot of the struggles I have with Orthodox Christianity is because if it doesn't mm-hmm. make sense, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just, yeah. That's just where I'm at now. So. Uh, and mm-hmm. I love when people say, you know, uh, well, metaphysics is useless. And I'm like, hmm, that, that's a bit of <laughs> metaphysics. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, yeah, anything that's not physical that we're not discussing, we're into metaphysics. So yeah. what is the major, if you, if you could just quickly summarize, I'm, uh, as far as Sunni and Shia go, 
what mm-hmm. is the the major difference? Is it just the hadiths that mm. they that's followed, or um, that's part of it? But how it originally started was more of a political issue, which was after the uh, Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace be upon him, died. Um, there was some question or concern about who was going to be the next leader for the Muslims, uh, what we would call a uh, Khalifa. And that word actually means to come after. And so the first Khalifa was the, the leader who came after, after the, you know, the death of the prophet Muhammad. And so, Historically, the split between what later became Shia and Sunnis was on who was supposed to lead the Muslim people after the prophet died. And so the the modern day Shia have this idea that it should have actually been um, uh, uh, Imam Ali, um, where if people are familiar with Muhammad Ali, uh, that's, that's where the name comes from. Ali was actually the prophet's cousin. And so they they viewed succession in terms of leadership more along familial lines. And so because he was the prophet's cousin and very close to him in that sense, uh, and obviously I'm trying to make it very simple to the audience. So yeah, yeah. Muslims watching, don't say, oh, Jake, you forgot about this point or that point. I'm trying to make it as simple <laughs> as possible, guys. Um, because of that, they viewed it more along those lines. They said, oh, he, sh- he should be the successor, right? And whereas the Sunnis had this more of a kind of, for lack of better term, democratic understanding. It should be like a council where the main, the main core uh, companions of the prophet met up and said, okay, let's figure this out. Who's going to be the leader? It was sort of a vote type of thing. And they wound up voting in, basically. They agreed upon that it would be Abu Bakr, who was, and he wound up being the first Khalifa, the first leader after the prophet Muhammad died. And so the Shia, which means sort of to split, they were sort of a breakaway group in which they said, no, we, you know, we don't like that. We think it should be um, the prophet's cousin, um, Imam Ali. And so that's originally how it started as a, as a more of a political thing. And then since then, it, it sort of developed further. And now there are significant theological differences. For example, uh, the Shia believe in... Uh, well, the main body of them, they're called Twelvers. They believe in 12 imams, which the imam is basically right. the leader. And again, for simplicity's sake, it's almost like a Pope-like figure. So you can right. imagine like 12 popes of succession and where some of them believe to the extent that these imams are infallible, um, you know, whatever they say goes type of deal. And um, so that was a theological development later on. And as Sunnis, we don't believe that we uh, many of their imams, the early ones, at least we actually love and respect, but we don't view them in the same way that the the Shia do. 
uh, as sort of these infallible figures, <clears throat> which many times they even attribute to them things like knowledge of the unseen or certain kind of powers that normally one would associate with God. And we think, well, you guys are just going a bit too far here. Right. Um, and so as a Protestant, you're familiar with the Pope and uh, this whole idea that, you know, the the Holy Roman Empire and the idea that, you know, Pope can declare dogma and he ha he can, right. as far as when he teaches, it's it should be infallible and all this kind of stuff. Um, for me personally, that doesn't really make much sense from a human perspective, um, especially when it's not even a prophet. It's a, it's a, I wouldn't say it's a regular guy because I'm sure he's got some type of status. But um, anyway, never really made sense to me. So when I became a traditional Muslim, I was pretty much like, no, uh, you know, Sunni makes more sense. Or if I wanted the Pope, I'd go back to Roman Catholicism. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, so that's the difference. But yeah. And, and they're the ones who are trying to usher in the 12th Imam, I believe it is, that they're. Yeah, so they they believe in what um, what's called the Mahdi, which we also believe, which means the guided one. But they believe he is the last Imam, and he's alive, but he's in hiding. And towards the end, and he's been in hiding for a while now, God knows how long. But um, towards the end of times, he's going to come out and sort of usher in the end times type of thing. Oh, um, so sweet. Yeah, we believe in a similar thing as far as the Imam, Imam Mahdi, but we don't believe he's alive now, hiding out in a cave. We think he's going to come yeah. later on, and you know the whole es eschatological thing. So, but yeah, though, and there are other differences, but uh, originally it was a political thing, and then the main theological difference is this position on the the twelve in infallible imams. You know, and I just don't see any evidence for it from the Quran, for example. I think it's it's they try to appeal to certain texts, but I just don't think it's there. Yeah, it's it's crazy how many I mean, uh, how Abrahamic religions uh, tend to kind of it's like the same things have happened throughout time, like the Great Schism. Yeah, you know, similar differences. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's turned into theological differences and and huge theological differences. And mm -hmm. but yeah, I'm with you on the whole uh, infallibility thing. I've never understood how any human being could be infallible in mm -hmm. anything that they do. And right. you and I are going to have to. We're going to have to do a show on eschatology because I love. <laughs> I love eschatology and I have no idea about, you know, Islamic eschatology. So, mm -hmm. um, but that's, that's interesting. And one of the things that I noticed was the philosophical rigor that goes into um, Islam in general. It doesn't matter if you're Sunni, Shia, Kurdish, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's there's this, you know, a lot of people don't realize the monotheistic arguments for God. Mm -hmm. A lot mm -hmm. of them actually come from Islamic thought. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, 
just if you could just quickly, you know, your ideas on the philosophy side of it, because I love philosophy myself. Yeah, sure. So um, one good example that I could give that some of the viewers might be familiar with is uh, what's called the Kalam cosmological argument. Right. And uh, which, you know, basically whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. And William Lane Craig, who's a, uh, a Protestant Christian, is um, is well known for popularizing that and sort of resurrecting it um, over the past, whatever, 30, 40 years. He's been doing it for a while now. And the reason he actually gave it that name was because uh, in our tradition, one of the sort of, um, I guess the way you can explain it is kalam, which has several different meanings, but it, it means word or sort of, it, it's a type of dialectics. It's it's almost like a theological um, uh, philosophy, almost like analytic theology that we have nowadays. And so we have this in our tradition and this particular argument was highly developed and, and, and brought to, you know, deep sophistication by a thinker known as uh, Imam Ghazali. And he was in the Kalam tradition. And so when Craig started studying this, um, he said, whoa, look at look at what these guys are talking about. Look at some of the arguments they're using. And so he dubbed it the Kalam cosmological argument, um, you know, in sort of appreciation of the Kalam tradition. So we have this rich theological and philosophical tradition, even amongst people like uh, Avicenna or Ibn Sina, we would call him, uh, Averroes or Ibn Rushd, we would call him, um, several of them uh, just great giants and and I don't agree with them on every point, but great giants as far as, uh, you know, rationality, philosophy, theology, and the, some of the arguments that they used. And yeah, we, I absolutely love it because we have such a rich tradition that uh, people, I, and I don't blame anybody because I wasn't aware of it when I was a Catholic I had no idea about the uh, rich tradition of the Islamic theology. So, yeah, part of what I do now is is studying that, just trying to learn from, you know, the greats before me, the ancients um, that came before me, and uh, just trying to develop my own thought as far as how these things work. And, um, you know, it's just a lifelong process. But, yeah, in, in Islam, we have such a rich tradition with the theology, specifically on that particular argument, there were other arguments like Avicenna's uh, contingency argument. And uh, these things have been studied for a long time. A lot of these arguments are still popular today. And I, I use them in many times in discussions, even with atheists. So um, I, abs- I absolutely love, uh, like I said, metaf- metaphysics and philosophy. And uh, I enjoy to continue to try to learn more and more uh, because just when you, th- this is my experience anyway, when you think you're coming up with like something clever and then you do a little bit of research and like, oh, dummy, somebody was talking about that like 500 years ago. Right. And so um, 
you know, it's hard to even come up with, you know, when, when you do a lot of studying, you start to notice like a lot of these issues, like even you were saying about the Sunni Shia divide, you see different types of parallels in the Christian tradition, the Jewish tradition, um, ancient philosophy. It's just interesting how all of these things connect and are somewhat related in one way or another, as far as human thought, you know, it's, it's very nowadays in the 21st century, as far as philosophy goes, it's really difficult to come up with a unique perspective or thought pretty much uh, everything that you can say has already been said. Um, And so, yeah, but uh, we, we have a, and I would encourage people, whether you're Christian atheist or otherwise to, uh, look into some of these things, you know, try to study the different traditions. I myself study a lot of Christian theology and I I learn a lot from them as well. So um, I always encourage people, no matter what tradition you're in to, to look into what people of different faiths have said. And, you know, at least the very least you can learn from what they believe and that'll help you to be able to communicate with uh, the people who are in that tradition much better. Yeah, absolutely. That was to me. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to date myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first religious talks online I ever had was on AOL talk rooms. Mm-hmm. And I went into a religious talk room and it, it could have been just my experience at the time, but I, I knew nothing about Islam, Muslims mm-hmm. or anything like that some of the most pleasant people that I had conversations with. And uh, I kind of got the, the the same feedback. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, usually I don't have good conversations with Christians. It's about apologetics or evangelizing or this mm-hmm. or that. And some of the great, and I was, there was actually an older gentleman that I talked to regularly who told me to take a look at the philosophical uh, history of mm-hmm. Islam. And what he had said was, while the Catholic Church had a hold on philosophy for Christianity, Islam mm-hmm. thoroughly encouraged. And I was like, ah, oh, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that at all. And then I started looking into it and I was like, wow, mm-hmm. there was, you know, the medieval Islamic thinkers that were encouraged to be philosophers to Mm -hmm. do these different philosophies and, you know, coming to uh, philosophy in general, learning that there's a rich history of intelligence behind Christianity was actually surprising to me. I hate to say that, Mm -hmm. but it was. And then the same thing with it, because I went on a kind of like a journey. I went through this deconstruction from, fundamentalism into agnosticism and kind of went on this journey Mm -hmm. looking at world religions and things like that. And I Mm -hmm. was really mesmerized at the amount of uh, philosophy and theology that's been developed throughout Islam, Mm -hmm. you know, Christianity being older, Mm -hmm. it was a little more expected, I guess, on my point. I mean, Mm -hmm. on my part. So being a philosophy guy yourself, I can see exactly how you ended up into uh, being a metaphysician. 
So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It's interesting, too, is that uh, just one more point on that. Some people don't realize that uh, people like the, the the great doctor of the Catholic Church, St. Thomas Aquinas, actually was heavily influenced by uh, Muslim thinkers. And in fact, um, another thing people don't realize is that certain Muslims were heavily responsible for translating Aristotle's texts into Arabic. And so a lot of his work actually survived through Arabic philosophy and, and the sort of the Muslim tradition. And he had an enc- entire commentary on Aristotle's works. And anyway, long story short, that got passed through to the Christian tradition. And a lot of what Thomas Aquinas was dealing with was heavily relied on um, the Muslim preservation of Aristotle's works and Ibn Rushd or Averroes, as would be known, you know, the Latinized form of it, uh, his commentary on Aristotle's works. So there's a lot of sort of um, interaction between the traditions that people don't realize. And when you study it, it's just absolutely fascinating. So kind of switching gears a little bit, uh, I have often heard complaints about um kind of the same thing with islam is judaism and that's Mm -hmm. the required uh practices the Mm -hmm. praying multiple times a day um Mm -hmm. you know the study but i think a lot of people don't realize that in judaism and i assume uh islam too the ultimate form of worship is study. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Is there a tradition mm-hmm. like that? Uh, yeah, in- yeah. So I forget which Islamic scholar it was. It might have actually even been Imam Ghazali. I'm not sure, but we have this tradition where, based on what you were talking about, actually about the um, Islamic law, we we call it fiqh, and studying many the scholars many times speak about it just studying like one lesson of islamic law is is like exponentially greater than even doing your ritual daily prayer and so uh, to the you know to 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 such an extent that uh, not to say that you should leave your prayers or anything like that but right. just how serious and uh it's taken within the tradition. Studying is really important. Like we have um, Hadith sciences. We have sciences of Quran, uh, learning how to memorize the Quran, which is very important for us um, because we don't believe in just preserving it in the written text. That's sort of secondary for us. We believe primarily that the text is actually carried in the hearts of, of Muslims and in, in our minds, it's because if all the books all of, of the Quran were burned up and there was nothing left, we would still be able to next day put it all down on paper because we just have literally, quite literally, millions of Muslims memorizing the Quran. So we have science of, of memorizing the Quran, how to recite it. Um, if the listeners aren't familiar with, you can see the different recitation styles. Um, commentary, what we call tafsir of the Quran, 
uh, fiqh, which is uh, basically Islamic law and uh, how it's carried out, all of these uh, hadith sciences, all of these different sciences are just so rich. And to even try to master one of them, it just takes years and years of, of, of studying. So, uh, I mean, I love it because, I mean, even though I've been in Islam like 10 years, I'm a baby in most of that stuff. Um, you know, I try to, for example, uh, memorize the Quran as a non-Arabic speaker, reciting the Quran and all that type of stuff. Um, but in, in most of the science, I'm an absolute baby. And um, it's a lifelong journey to, to, to learn more of those things. But as far as the the rituals, the laws, and the thing, I like it because I'm a very structured person. So I like to have that structure in my life to say, oh, okay, it's this time I, I'm, I'm supposed to be praying or doing this. Or, um, you know, we have the month of Ramadan where it's uh, a month of fasting for the Muslims, right? And that you know that that's coming every year. And it's always that month to, well, if you were slipping on this, all right, you got to get back in gear. You know, it's a, it's a reminder uh, for Muslims to be, first of all, thankful for what we have, all these different kind of things. But I like the structure of Islam to have these things structured in a way to kind of keep you focused and on track. And that when you know you're, you're sort of not, you can always say, okay, here's how I get myself back online. So um, for some people, they will be like, ah, I don't like this. I don't like being tied down. You know, I don't want to deal with these laws or anything like that. But um, for me, I think it's a blessing. So, yeah, that was one of the things that uh, I've been doing a lot of study into Judaism Mm -hmm. uh, here in the last few months. And that was one of the things that uh, being I'm I'm like you, I'm very analytical Mm -hmm. and I'm very structured. I have to have everything. You know, I need this, this, this and this. If you can give me a schedule of what I'm supposed to do every day, (laughs) my life is glorious. So going and realizing how much. Christianity is kind of, and I don't mean to kind of beat up on Christianity. It's just easier mm-hmm. to talk about these issues being a Christian myself. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that that I that has you know uh, is appealing factor to me for orthodoxy is a liturg- liturgical style of worship, the practices, mm-hmm. the going through the motions kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I definitely totally get that part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was one thing I wanted to ask. I didn't want backtracking kind of a bit. Mm -hmm. So in Judaism, numbers are extremely important. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I noticed when you were talking about the Shia and the 12th Imam and so is there like is is that tradition carried on in Islam where numbers are you know being multiples being mm-hmm. um I think uh, it, mm-hmm. go ahead well, no I was trying to think of what the name was that they used uh uh or oh okay. yeah yeah I know what you're talking about yeah 
Yeah, the Muslims had a, uh, and even prior to, you know, the advent of of the Prophet, they had in a similar way that the the Jews and the Hebrews had that the letters of the alphabet had a particular numerical value. Uh, in Arabic, it's called abjad. It's the abjad system. And <clears throat> so they had that because they didn't really have their own, you know, numerical structure. They just had the letters of the language and then each one would literally have a value for them. So they have that in similarity. And then there are certain numbers that seem to be, I don't want to say, I guess you could say somewhat more significant than others. Like, for example, uh, the number three in, and this seems to be a feature, it could even be in line with the Trinity as well. Uh, some people say that, that uh, the number three seems to be uh, very important. Um, for example, a lot of things that we do, we do them three times over. So, for example, when we make wudu or the uh, ablution for prayer, sort of the uh, cleansing uh, before prayer, you don't have to do it three times. You can do it once. So, like, if I'm cleaning my arm, I can do it once. But doing it three times as as, as part of the ritual is is like extra seen as a, as a good deed sort of thing. So there are, and then it's not only that it's with other things. The number three comes about um, also the number seven for the Arabs uh, had a lot of significance. So in that respect with the, with the abjad system, as well as what I'm mentioning now, uh, numbers were important for, for Muslims. Oh. Yeah. So now it's time for the hard questions. <laughs> okay. Let me strap in my seatbelt. <laughs> That's right. Does pineapple go on pizza? Oh, no, man. Yes. No, you can't yes, I knew I liked you. Yes. You can't do that, brother. That's <laughs> that's that's from 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 an Italian New Jersey guy where we have the best pizza. I'm sorry to break it to everybody. Okay, not New York. Don't listen to what they tell you or over in Italy. All right. We've got the best pizza in the country right here in New Jersey. Um I I can tell you. As God is my witness, brother, I have never had pineapple on a pizza, and I never will. You couldn't pay me enough money. No, is it that I is love, that's heresy, brother. That's you're, you're just you're thrown out of the church at that point. <laughs> I love pineapple and I love pizza, yeah. but I don't like pineapple pizza. You don't put fruit. It, it, well, I can't say that because tomato is technically a fruit. <laughs> I know. But you don't add any other fruit. Yeah, <laughs> you just don't. You can't. Other than that. <laughs> what about what about mint and chocolate? Mint in chocolate? So like mint chocolate? Like, you mean? Yeah, chocolate mint. Um, I, I'm kind of indifferent to it. I, I, I'll eat it. Like I can have, for example chocolate chip mint ice cream i'll i'll eat it every once and now and then but uh, i'm not crazy about it but i don't hate it either i get you know what i i i like uh like andy's mm. the candy chocolate and mint yeah yeah that's cool 
But if somebody buys ice cream that has mint <laughs> and it's chocolate ice cream, it's like, bro, I could have had chocolate ice cream and you got <laughs> chocolate with mint. Why would you ruin my, it's not that bad, but it's yeah. kind of like adding toothpaste to it. I want yeah. chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. I like, I mean, I, for people who don't know, okay. I am an absolute ice cream freak. Okay. I have, oh. I have ice cream almost every day, right? It's almost like a fix. Yeah. But um, I'm a simple guy. I, I mean, I like all different kinds of ice creams as well, but pretty much just plain vanilla. I'm, I'm good with that. I, I love vanilla ice cream. So, um, yeah, everybody in my family knows, like, Jake's the ice cream king. <laughs> so, yeah, hide the ice cream, Jake's here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, I love ice cream, but uh, my father-in-law is, he like you're talking about, Every night before he goes to bed, has to have a bowl of ice cream. That's me. Every single night. He's like, <laughs> I got to have a bowl of ice cream. I used to be like that with cereal. Mm. I was like a cereal freak, man. Every night before bed, it's like, even if I wasn't hungry, I wanted a bowl of cereal every yeah. night before I went to bed. So, yeah. And, yeah. And, and dare I say, I had sweet dreams. <laughs> so being italian is pizza italian or is that an american or is it a greek thing uh, i'm just gonna say it's italian just just uh, just to it's try a- to add one more thing on the yeah man i've heard so many it. arguments you know it's like no it was it's an american thing no it's a greek thing it's like <laughs> I, I like mediterranean pizza that's uh i don't think i've had that is it good oh well it's uh it's with the the slices of tomato Mm. and basil and uh let me make sure i say it right mozzarella (laughs) on it so yeah okay yeah i know what you're talking about yeah yeah, Yeah, it's it's pretty dope but yeah yeah i like it typically it's just pepperoni for me I'm I'm pretty simple. God. I can't eat pepperoni anymore, man. Burn you alive? No. Yeah, no, no more pork. Nope. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah. No oh more, no, no. <laughs> you can't. Oh my gosh. See, I was thinking at one time myself, kind of giving up pork, mm-hmm. just because. Uh, I mean, not just the Abrahamic prohibitions. That was kind of part of it, but mm-hmm. the if you look at the studies and things of how bad mm-hmm. pork is for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is, man, I don't know if you know much about Memphis, Tennessee. Oh. It, it is like the barbecue, barbecue central dry rub rib central. Yeah. So my specialty is smoking dry rub ribs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I could, I love ribs. I could give up every bit of pork even bacon really but i don't yeah i could yeah i could give i could see, give I, bacon. I, see man i could give up ribs i mean i've given up bacon too okay don't try to call the, <laughs> don't, don't call like the you know the muslim police on me but uh one thing i i do miss is is bacon man oh, I miss it. Uh, turkey bacon's pretty good though 
Yeah, but it's just <laughs> once you have that pork bacon, man, it's not yeah, the same. It's, and, yeah. and you see, the, the people who are are sort of born into Muslim families, they don't get it. Like the, my, oh. my wife doesn't get it. Like they they have because they've been brought up that way with almost an aversion to pork. You know right. what I mean? But yeah, it's um, this disgusting thing that yeah, yeah, but I'm I'm telling you it's 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 good and see people ask me and they say, Well, Jake, why did God decide to make pork prohibited? And I said, like in our from my perspective, in our religion, people speculate about what you said, like the health benefits, or mm-hmm. maybe it was it the way that the meat was back then. It was harder to make sure that it was preserved and healthy for people. I say, because there's nothing definitive in the text, it may be just a test from God that he made this meat so damn tasty. So good. (laughs) And he just said, hey, look, don't eat this meat. Obey Uh, me. And it's a test. And I say, man, that that it could be what's really behind it. I don't know. You know what? That's a pretty good idea because, oh, man, it's like uh, no scaleless fish. Uh, What is it? Hooved animals, or is yeah. it non-hooved animals? It's one or the other. Yeah. Shellfish, and it's like, oh my gosh, everything I love, <laughs> you know, was at one time a prohibition, and it's like, oh, how could you do that? I mean, come on, bacon is salt and fat yeah. fried. Where some of the fat comes out, but that fat fries the fat that's left, <laughs> and you get to put exactly. more salt on it. Exactly, it, man. Yeah, it's like it's 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 so glorious. It's See, so... every time I used to get fries, I used to get bacon cheese fries. Oh, I can't, that's the fire, can't, man! Can't can't get them anymore, mm. man. <laughs> Have you but, ever tried? Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, what is it called? It's the uh, it's a Canadian dish, and it's oh poutine, and it's mm-hmm. brown gravy on French fries with cheddar cheese. Nope, never had that one. It <laughs> the first time I went there, and they were like, uh, "Is that regular fries or poutine?" I was like, "Oh, what the heck? What is poutine?" <laughs> you know, and they're talking about gravy and. I was like, man, hook it up. I can gravy makes everything great, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm with you, man. The bacon and in ranch. You gotta have ranch with it too. Oh, so. I don't do ranch. See, I'm a plain oh, guy, on. man. Come I don't <laughs> bro. Bacon you're, you're gonna hate me, bro. You're gonna hate me. And ranch. I, oh, what I, about sour cream? No, no, no. Listen, listen, Jay. you're gonna hate me. I do not like any condiments whatsoever. No ketchup, no mustard, no honey mustard, no barbecue sauce, no ranch, no sour cream. None of that, brother. Yeah, I'm picky, Okay, so what you are is you're a food fundamentalist. That's right. And I mean that pejoratively. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) See, I'm the type of guy... You know, they tell you, well, adding the sauce enhances the taste of the food. But I feel like, no, 
it takes away from the taste of the meat or or whatever I'm trying to eat. It's like, no, 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 no. I want to taste the main course. I don't want to I don't want to just taste a whole bunch of ketchup in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. So that's I'm how a, I look I'll, at it. I'm a I'm going to put my uh, my atheist hat on only because they're the only ones who I've ever heard argue for subjectivism. It's yeah. all subjective. It doesn't yeah. matter. There's nothing objective about it. It's all subjective. That's, that's right. That's right. They got that one. Jake, thank you so much for showing up, man. I have had a fantastic time. It has been great. I learned a lot, man, and I... I really do appreciate you coming on and hanging out with us. I enjoyed it, bro. Maybe you can do it again sometime. I enjoyed you having me here, man. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to see everybody out. And if you want to hang out in the backstage, I'll come holler at you in a few. All right. Sounds good, man. Thanks. Thanks, bud. Oh, cut him off. That's twice I've done that. Twice, twice, twice. Uh, So uh, (laughs) Jake. The Muslim metaphysician, check him out. I didn't even give you, Jake, I'm sorry. I didn't give you a chance to plug your stuff. I'll plug it for you. Uh, TheMuslimMetaphysician.com. It's in the description. Uh, Muslim metaphysician on YouTube. He's on Twitter. He's on Facebook. He's everywhere. It's uh, He's omnipresent. Yeah, there you go. There's your joke for the day. Uh, <laughs> so if uh, if you could, I am looking for... A few, not everybody, just a few Patreon subscribers, supporters, uh, just to cover the cost of doing the show. That's it. I don't care about making money off of any of this. Uh, So if you feel like you like the show, you benefit from the show, you enjoy the show, anything like that. um, I do have uh, a Patreon subscriber or supporter and i actually meant to get his name so i could give him a shout out for it but you know who you are thank you so much for uh supporting the show and anybody else that feels like they would want to support the show or like the content go ahead thank you everybody for showing up it has been fantastic uh definitely want to look at probably having Jake on again, because I had a great conversation. Have a good night, everybody.